Good morning again. Grab those Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 5. And as y'all are turning there, i got to admit that whoever told me that my new microphone looked like braces headgear, you've gotten in my head. I had a dream two nights ago that I was wearing this thing and it had a wire around the front and a wire around my jaw. And it was all messed up and it was like keeping me from even being able to talk. That shows you the power of words. And as y'all are turning there to Matthew chapter 5, I can assume that many of you probably know or even can recall some famous last words. But I wonder if we remember famous first words. Those are a little harder to remember, right? Because most of our famous first words aren't all that famous. It's not all that significant. The first words that we speak being mama or dada. But throughout history, there actually has been some famous first words. Some that were of significance. It was reported that George Orwell, you guys remember that guy? If you read 1984 or Animal Farm in high school English or college English composition, it was reported by his nanny that his first word ever spoken was beastly. Odd for a kid to say that, but if you've read Orwell, you probably understand that. It's also reported that uh, Steven Spielberg, his mother said his famous first word was why. It's a pretty good word. That's the word you don't want your kid to learn, right? By the time they're age four, or no, or their favorite word, my. I love this, though, for baby's first words. This is a meme that I found for Princess Bride fans out there. This baby's first word is going to be inconceivable, right? He looks just like that guy. But more than anything, our famous first words aren't just the first words that maybe you speak as a baby or an infant. First words can be the start of something revolutionary, the start of something brand new. First words can uh, signal the beginning of a new era. Maybe some of those that are famous are Brutus, that the assassination of Julius Caesar is reported to have said, sic semper tyrannis, Latin for thus always to the tyrants. Which interestingly enough is what John Wilkes Booth was reported to have said when he jumped off the balcony onto the stage after shooting President Lincoln. The first words, of course, ever spoken on the moon, which is a real thing, conspiracy theorists out there, shut up, alright, were, of course, so famous, signaling a brand new world that had opened up to humanity. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. See, first words can, and I think should be, of first importance why these words that we just heard on the video and the words we're going to unpack in Matthew 5, 3-12 today called the Beatitudes are paramount they are apex, they are of first importance when it comes to living the kingdom life, the Christian life, the way of Jesus because Jesus sees this crowd and there's reason for that here in a moment that we'll get into, but he sees a crowd gathering, he goes up on a mountain, he sits down, and he proclaims, you're blessed. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God in his world. You're blessed when you feel like you've lost 
what's most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more and no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can be You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. That's when you begin to see God in the outside. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are, your place in God's family. And you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed when people put you down or, th- or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even for though they don't like it, I do and all heaven applauds. They know that you're a good company. All my prophets and witnesses have gotten into this type of trouble. Beatitudes. What an amazing set of first words. They are inside out. They are upside down. These blessings that Jesus begins with are an opening salvo. They are opening barrage of words meant to disrupt our common held ideas of who is blessed, who is not, who is in, who is out. The Beatitudes honestly are answering the age-old question. The one that all humans ask at one point. The desire of all of us that have ever lived, and that is, what is the meaning of life? Or maybe more closely, what is the good life? And how do I live? Jesus is trying to disrupt our idea of how we answer that. So it was back in 2007 that a family was in upstate New York, and they were going around hitting up different yard sales. And they ran across, don't know who it was in the family, but somebody in the family found this bowl. This white porcelain bowl. They bought it for $3 and then they took it home. They stuck it on the mantle for a couple years and finally some family friends looked at it and they said, you need to look at that a little closer. So they took it to an antiques dealer and the antiques dealer said, I'm not sure what this is, but it could be something big. So they took it to another antiques dealer and the antique dealer said, I don't know what this is either, but It could be something big. And on and on it went up the chain of knowledge of antique dealers till it was discovered and the family was told there's only two bowls like this in the world and the other one sits in a museum in London. On their mantle for several years, they had a thousand-year-old bowl on display from the Song Dynasty in China It was one of the most sought-after pieces of antiquity ever as a set. And so the family turned a $3 investment over to Sotheby's, and they sold it at auction for $2.2 million. Now, y'all, 
I don't know if you have one of those sitting at home, you may want to check. And don't forget to tithe. <laughs> but y'all, this is what this is what Jesus is doing. In the opening of the Sermon on the Mount, we read these words and we hear them for some of us, maybe even many and maybe even most of us, we just hear the Beatitudes as a $3 bowl sitting on a shelf. Or we hear them as an heirloom stuffed away in a closet somewhere. But when we dig in, and that's what we're going to do today, we're going to look at the Beatitudes and we discover that they have a price beyond them. And to help us understand what Jesus is doing, we've got to build context. These words are more than just Jesus saying, here's some blessings for you. They're more than just a preacher's way of getting people's attention. They are words that matter. And for us to truly understand them, we have to admit this. They are not ours. So they are not ours to do with them as we please. They are Jesus' words. And they have a specific meaning in context. So go back, if you're in your Bible, go back one page or just flip to the other side of the page and look at Matthew chapter 4. The Sermon on the Mount had a catalyst. It had a meaning. It had something that launched it. And if you look at chapter 4, verse 17, what launches this sermon is Jesus' first words, even before these first words. Jesus' first words in his public ministry are repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming here. It's a proclamation of the nearness of the rule and reign of God. Of the immediacy of it. His message then takes on life. And if you skip down to verse 23 through 25, Jesus, as he proclaimed, here's what he does. He tells them the rule and reign of God is near. And then the scripture tells us that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in the synagogues. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. There it is repeated again. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering with severe pain. The demon possessed. Those having seizures and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed. So what Jesus does in chapter 4 is he proclaims the newness and the reality of the kingdom. That it is at hand, and then he demonstrates that reality. And as he demonstrates, it builds a crowd. Jesus is just practicing first grade show and tell. Let me show you the kingdom. And now, what prompts the Sermon on the Mount is he's going to tell them, I've, dist- I've, I've shown you and I've helped you discover what it looks like to be near the king of the kingdom. Now let me tell you what it's like to live in this kingdom. And he begins with what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and those who mourn, and the meek, and the hungry, and thirsty, and the merciful, and the pure in heart, and the peacemaker, and the persecutor. And it's crucial for us to remember that what he has shown, the kingdom's nearness, helps us understand what Jesus is telling us in the Sermon on the Mount. 
So this morning I want to just give you three things that the Beatitudes are and three things that they are not. And this is probably more than anything just proclamation. Proclamation of the goodness of God. So receive this this morning as good news because number one, the Beatitudes are a description of blessing, not a prescription to get blessing. Now lean in with me on See, we often have a hard time when it comes to Scripture reading, confusing the two. Sometimes we believe that everything in the Bible is a prescription. Everything is a thou shalt or a thou shalt not. But Jesus here is not giving a way to be blessed. He is describing where the kingdom shows up and who is already blessed. I love how our video just a second ago puts it. With a little bit of license there, Jesus saying it's a map. When we read the Beatitudes as a prescription of how to be blessed, we have maybe the right map in front of us, but we read it completely wrong. For example, we do that all the time, right? This is the Mercator map. You guys know this map? It's what was behind your teacher, and you can pull down in front of the chalkboard and every every elementary, junior high, and high school all across the land, right? This is the Mercator map, but it shows the globe, but it is incorrect in the way that it displays the sizes of continents and countries, right? I mean, look at Greenland. Greenland is not that big, right? Greenland looks like, well, it's bigger than South America. Greenland's not a continent, but this is a stretched map. It's the right map, but it's red, wrong if you're looking for the sizes. This is actually closer to some of the actual sizes of the world. Particularly Africa here. You can see this. In Africa, overlaid with the U.S., China, and India, they all easily fit into the continent of Africa. See the difference? Africa's not very big on Mercator now. It's huge in real life. Or, Texans, you'll hate this one, You'll hate this one bad. Sorry, Texans. Look how little Texas is in Africa. I thought we were the biggest, dead you know? Right? <laughs> Everything's bigger in Texas. Not in Africa. Right? <laughs> right? That's the three largest U.S. states overlaid Africa. See, we read sometimes the right map, but we read it wrongly. See, what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes is he is not just saying, here's how to be blessed, he's identifying who is already blessed, who is already living the good life. This is a completely upside down way. See, our world does not tell us you're blessed or that God is in your life. Right? When you are mourning or when you're poor or when you're overlooked or when you're persecuted. Jesus, if we allow the text to be honest here, is proclaiming something beautiful. Not by prescribing how to be blessed, but describing who is near the king. Our world says it's the strong and the mighty and the powerful and the happy who are blessed. And Jesus turns this inside out and he says, no, it's the least. It's the least. The outcast who is well off in the kingdom. 
So here's how to think about this. Want this in one line? Here it is. The opening of the Sermon on the Mount is not a to-do list. It is a good news list. It's not a to-do list. It is a good news list. And number two is already up on the screen there. Not only is the Beatitudes a description, what the Beatitudes is doing is showing a blessing for all, not just or not only the hashtag blessed. I got a secret for you. You want to live a happy life? I've got one way you can live a happy life, right? Get off social media. Because social media is the hashtag blessed, right? It's highlights, it's everybody's highlight reel. It's our best, it's our most inauthentic moments is what we share with the world. It's our snapshots. It's when we're hashtag blessed. Now that's nothing. We didn't come up with this idea of everybody who seems to have it all together must be the people that are blessed. That's been around. In Jesus' time, the world was plagued by this. Judaism was plagued by this. It was they were plagued by the idea that you're blessed if you're rich and you're powerful and you're respected. The belief was that clearly you were blessed and favored by God if your life was put together and good. And God was blessing you because you were good and you had goodness and righteousness. The opposite was also true at the time, and it's still true today. We often believe if your life is not going well, you must have done something. That's what's so great about the Beatitudes is Jesus isn't playing that game. What he's doing is opening up the world with good news and he's declaring, it's not those who look blessed that are blessed. Jesus is saying, it's those that no one else would bless that are blessed. And this truth should give us a couple of things. It should, one, challenge us and also give us hope. First, where it should challenge us. We don't want to admit this, but you do and I do. We base our judgments on people based on their circumstances. We measure according to hashtag blessed. Most of us think we would probably never say, I'm kind of getting into our heads here. But we think things like, well, they must be poor. They're poor, so they must be stupid. Or they're needy, so they must not be as wise and mature as I am. Or look at that person, they're shy, and and so they must be insecure. Or they're struggling, they must not have my ability. Or they're sinful, so they must not be as righteous as I am. But Jesus here in the attitude is great news of this. He's laying that idea and that way of thinking to rest. And that's why this is not only a challenge, it's hope. It's hope because we all know this. We're all spiritually destitute. Amen? We all mourn. We all suffer. And if you haven't yet, suffering has a way of finding you. And the truth is, and Jesus' amazing news here, is the kingdom is here, open, available. You're blessed. You're blessed. In these moments. And third, the Beatitudes 
or kingdom proclamation, not religious legalism. I may be pushing this a little much, but I want you to hear this because I heard sermons growing up a lot of it. They're the Beatitudes. These are the attitudes you're supposed to be. And I thought, well, that's really weird. I don't want to be more of it. We read them as religious legalization when Jesus the whole time has just been given kingdom proclamation. If you look at Matthew 5, 11 and 12, here's one of the hardest ones for us to hear. He says, blessed are you when people insult you. Raise raise your hand if you've ever felt blessed when people insult you. Thank you. you. I enjoy that, right? When they persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Nobody's out there going, hey, I need your blessing today. Gossip about me a little bit more. Right? These are inside out. But they're not prescriptions. And they're not religious legalizations. But Jesus goes on to say this, Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, hear this. Jesus in these passages did not say, Blessed are you because you're persecuted. He's saying something all together different. Persecution doesn't make you fit for the kingdom. What he's saying is that when you are persecuted, God is already in your midst. The kingdom of God is on display. You're blessed. Even God can show up in these times. So when we make the beatitudes into do attitudes, we substitute a beautiful announcement for legalism. Those who are poor in spirit are not blessed because that is some great place to be. Jesus is proclaiming they're blessed because even in their pores and in their destitute place, the kingdom has come. And he is there. Heard this story a few weeks ago about a police officer in Richmond, Indiana. This young lady, Sierra Burton, she was 28 years old. She was killed in the line of duty. And of course, that's tragic in any place and in any way. But this particular tragedy took on a unique perspective because this young lady was so beloved. Her stepmom was a police officer. She grew up in a police family. So her becoming a police officer in her 20s was natural. And everybody in this mid-sized community the city of Richmond, Indiana, knew her and loved her. And so when she passed, the city, young and old, far and wide, rich and poor, mourned her passing. The tributes poured in, all kinds of things poured in, but what was stood out the most, out of all the memorials and gifts that came to the police station, and the notes and the flowers and the cards, one morning a man who wished to remain anonymous, entered the police office and came in with an unmarked envelope in his hand. He looked pretty haggard, haggard, pretty tired, pretty worn out. And he approached the desk with this envelope and he said, I don't want anybody to know my name, but this 
It's for the family of Sierra Burt. And so the lady at the front who received it opened up the envelope and pulled out a note. And on the note, the note said, People from the street. That's all it said. People from the street. And there was eight $1 bills attached to that note. It was what this man had gathered from Richmond, Indiana's homeless population. Eight dollars. The man said about Officer Burke, he said, she always checked on us. Always was kind, was always caring. So I felt like we needed to take up a collection from the homeless community. And they gave everything. You're blessed. So that's blessing. Not out of our wealth, not out of us having it together, not of us out of being legally figuring out how to be the Beatitudes, but us just realizing that what Jesus is proclaiming is an inside out reality. The inside out reality that the kingdom of God is at hand, it is near, and the rule and reign of God is right among you. So in our world, we could say you're blessed when you're broke or when you're broken. God is at work when we're willing to let Him. So we're blessed when we're addicted or divorced, barren or pregnant, when we're underemployed, overemployed, unemployed, or even unemployable. We're blessed when we're shoved aside and replaced. You're blessed when you're lonely and alone. You're blessed when you're the outsider. You're blessed when you're tired and weary. You're blessed when you're too young or when you're told you're too old. You're blessed when you're underinformed and when you're uneducated or even when you're overeducated. In the kingdom, the parent and the grandparent, the single mom and the I don't have a mom is a blessing. The clueless and the clued in. The biblically illiterate and even the biblically solid, the sinner and the sinful. Jesus is proclaiming at the start of his greatest sermon ever, the greatest sermon ever given. He's starting it and saying, You're blessed. Because he's reminding us church family, the good news. The old song that was made new by David Crowder a few years ago that has the line, Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. That is what the Beatitudes are saying. Is that the kingdom is here and among you in any situation, God's rule and reign is right here, right now. It's available. And if it's available, everything can change. It's good news. It's good news that we offer. It's good news that we speak about. It's not a to-do list. It is a this-is-it list. Let's go. You're blessed. The great news of the Beatitudes and Jesus' Matthew 4 sermon of repenting for the kingdom of heaven is near is this. You don't have to wait until you're dead to see God. You can receive Him and see Him today by dying to yourself. We call that baptism. It's when we say, I don't know how to do things anymore, Lord. I'm taking up your way. I'm putting away 
all my trying and all my efforts and realizing that I am blessed when I ring that bell because the first beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit. Or as we said it in the message earlier, you're blessed when you've come to the end of your rope. When you understand that there's less of you, then there's always more of God. What great news, church family. Right? Whew. May we live that way every day. No matter what's come your way this week or what's going to come up this next week, God is here. Everything can change. He's the God of second, third, and fourth and a thousand chances. Praise Him for that. If you need anything today, we're here for you. The baptistry is full. If you'd like to see the Lord move in your life today, He's ready. Let's let Him do that. Let's stand together and sing. Just as I